Appreciate that. Um, good singing. We sang uh, a lot about heaven this morning, and that's a good thing to sing about. And it will be a, a great day, but how many of you know that the great days are not just uh, in the future in heaven, but that God intends for us to have blessed days and good days here on earth as well? Uh, that God intends for us to live uh, in the here and now, and that he intends for us to know him and, and be blessed by him and uh, to serve him. Uh, and I'm so thankful that he, he does. Last week we talked about uh, the vision of our church and God's vision for your life and how hopefully they match up. And uh, today we're going to begin to talk about how do we achieve that? How do we become the people that God wants us to be, and how do we become the church uh, that God wants us to be? Uh, thankful, you know, it's not all about, and these four walls are not the church. We understand that. Uh, it, the church is the body of Christ. It's the people that make up the body of Christ. It's me and you and all the other saved people in Pearl, Mississippi, and all around the world make up the church. But there is something about these four walls. Now, these four walls are plaster. And there's some brick on the outside. There's nothing particularly spectacular about these bricks. They weren't baked in Israel and shipped over. Uh, they came from the lumber yard. But there's something special about God's house and there's something special about when God's people gather together but so often we miss it and today we're going to talk about why we miss it and how we fix it have you ever been to a fair or a carnival they've got those crazy mirrors in there you you know you often that you have to pay extra it's not included in the admission to the fair you gotta give a dollar or how much ever it is now, it's probably $5 now, the way inflation has gone up. There's all kinds of different mirrors, and some of them make you kind of look wavy, and some of them make you look really fat, some of them make you look skinny, I need that kind of mirror. Uh, some of them, you know, change your head and make it kind of uh, odd-shaped. Uh, and we can, you know, it's kind of neat to see that, but it also kind of messes with our mind, doesn't it? And we say, you know what, I can't spend all day in here and make me sick. Uh, we need a true vision. And so, you know, when we have the, the right reflection, we look at ourselves, we can really see who we are. Uh, and I want us to see, uh, we're going to look at Exodus chapter 3 this morning. Uh, you would be finding that in your Bible. Uh, and I want us to talk about finding the right eye. You know, I'm not talking about our physical eyes, I'm talking about that pronoun eye, but also our spiritual eyes that we see the Lord with. Because they can become askewed and we can miss what God has us to do because we don't see clearly. And so let's take a look. Exodus chapter 3, we're going to read verse 14 verses this morning. It says, Now Moses was tending to the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the back of the desert and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. 
And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire in the, from the midst of a bush. And so he looked, and behold, the bush was burning with fire, but the bush was not consumed. And Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush does not burn. And so when the Lord saw that he had turned aside to look, God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses, here I am. And he said, Moses said, here I am. And then he, the Lord, said, do not draw near this place. Take off your sand, the sandals off of your feet, for the place you are standing is holy ground. Moreover, he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look upon God. And the Lord said, I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. So I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up from that land to a good and large land, to a land flowing with milk and honey to a place of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites. Now therefore, behold, the cry of the children of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Now come therefore, and I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? And so he said, I will certainly be with you, and this shall be a sign to you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. And then Moses said to God, Indeed, when I come to the children of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me, and they say to me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? And God says to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Thus you shall say to the children of Israel, I am has sent me to you. And so Moses is just tending some sheep. Ordinary, common job. But I think it's, it's interesting that we find Moses, that we have to have a little bit of the backstory, because there's a pretty big backstory from these first two chapters of the book of Exodus. Moses became by the way, as you read the story, how God worked this out, he became a son to the daughter of Pharaoh. And he was raised in the palace. Had that, that upbringing, and, um, but he, as he grows up, uh, he sees some Jew, his, some of his countrymen being abused, and he goes and he kills those Egyptians that are abusing uh, those Jews. 
and he knows he shouldn't have done that as soon as he does it, and by in that the way it works, uh, you know, probably this, you know, God, he knew beforehand he shouldn't have done it, but he did it anyway, and as soon as he did it, he said, oh man, I should not have done that. But he leaves, he runs, uh, and he hires himself uh, to a man that he, he promises his daughter her hand in marriage if he'll work for him. Uh, and so that works out, and of course we know that there's some story behind that as well. And so Moses, though he grew up in Pharaoh's house, did not see very highly of himself. He did not see who God wanted him to be. And he was out tending sheep. And God spoke to him. He said he noticed this bush that was on fire. It wasn't anything unusual in the midst of the desert for a bush to be on fire. It's hot in the desert, and it's dry. And so things catch on fire all the time. But what was unusual is that Moses saw this big bush, and it was on fire, but it kept burning. And the bush wasn't consumed. It wasn't ate up. And that got his attention, and he's, there's something odd about that. And he went to check it out, and God spoke to him. And Moses said, here I am. He said, I'm the God of your father Abraham, Jacob, and Isaac. Notice what? He writes here what Exodus tells him. He hid his face from God because he was afraid to see him. He had seen what God had done. He'd seen the wonders of God, but I also think he knew uh, what he had done. And I think he was a little afraid that God was coming to judge him for what he had done. And by the way, we need to be reminded that God does know what we've done. In fact, the Bible says he knows the intent of our heart. He knows the things that we think. And so the reality is you can hide things from people, but you can't hide anything from God. And so God said, I've heard my people's cry. I've seen how Egypt, how the Pharaoh has oppressed my people, and I've chosen you, and I've raised you up. And now it's time for you to accomplish the purpose that I've set you for. The reason why I put you down a river in a raft and how you happen to just sail upon Pharaoh's daughter and how you happen to be find favor in her sight and she brought you into the palace. It was for a reason and a purpose. It was a design uh, that God had made and now it's time for you to get back to work and do what you were supposed to be doing. And Moses came up with every excuse in the book. And every excuse starts with I. He said, Lord, I can't do that. He, you read through the, the chapter, he goes on, he gives all kinds of excuses. God, I can't, I can't do that. The task you've given and the task you, what you've asked me to do is just so great, there's no way.
And so he answered in verse 12, he said, I will certainly be with you. And God uses the word I a lot of times in these 14 verses as well. And you see, what we need to understand is when Moses used the word I, he couldn't accomplish anything. But when the I was speaking of God, God can accomplish anything. And so... A couple things uh, that I want to mention this morning. And the first is, if we're going to see God's plan for our life, and we're going to be the person that God created us to be, and do what God created us to do, and we're going to be the church that God created our church to be, the first thing that we've got to do is we must come to know is. We, as broken, fallen human beings, we're very good at seeing our faults, and we know our faults. We know our faults better than anybody else. Well, I think all of you are, are pretty good folks. But you know the reality. Yeah, there's some good things about you, but there's also some ugly things about you. There's things I don't know about you. There's things your spouse doesn't know about you. There's things that your children don't know about you. And you think you're hiding them so well. And the reality is that, yeah, other people may not know them, but God does know about them. And God sees all your brokenness and all your frailties and all your past mistakes and he even sees your future mistakes. And yet he loves you and says, I have called you and created you for a purpose. God says to you, just like he said to Jeremiah, I know the plans that I have for you, for I established you. And we need to understand that if we want to be the person that God wants us to be and be the church that God wants us to be, we need to understand that we need to know who God is. And we need to understand, I know God. Can I tell you, there are a lot of people in this world that know about God, but they don't really know God. And there's a big difference between knowing about God and knowing God as Lord and Savior. There are a lot of people that know Aaron Baldrick. They, they at least know my name. But Leslie Baldrick probably knows me better than anybody else. So the point is, is that it, there's a difference between knowing about and knowing. And it's in the knowing where the difference is. Moses knew the mistakes he had made. He knew that he was an orphan. He knew that he didn't belong in Pharaoh's house, and yet he found himself there. And he knew that he had committed murder. And he knew that was a great sin. You see, all of us are prone to see our faults. And by the way, Satan, the devil, wants to make sure that you remember your faults. And so he brings them up. And 
But if we're going to be who God wants us to be, we have to remember who God is. We have to remember that God forgives, and we have to remember the promise of 2 Corinthians 5.17, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. That through the process of salvation, that great offer of grace and mercy that God extends to all, that all who receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior are made new. And we need to remind ourselves constantly that we did not save ourselves. In fact, we couldn't save ourselves. That's the whole point of why Jesus had to come. Because every human being had this disease called sin. And the only cure for it was sinless blood, and there's not a human being that had it. And so God came himself in the form of a human with human blood and shed that innocent, sinless human blood on the cross of Calvary to pay my sin debt and your sin debt and the sin debt of all the whosoevers. And that is an important truth for us to know. But again, we need to be reminded that, yes, God did save us. We have to remember that we are not what we used to be. We've been made new by Christ. And now we're redeemed. And now God says, you know what, I have a special assignment for you. Just as he says to Moses, I know all about your past, it's forgiven. I've got things I have for you to do. So get busy doing it. But just like Moses, we say, God, I can't do that. I, 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 I. And as long as your walk with God is about you, it's doomed to failure. And you're not going to be able to do it. But guess what? When, you're, when you know who Jesus is and you remember that he is the Lord of your life and he has said you belong to him and you remember not what your past is and not what Satan wants you to believe and not what you know, anyone else in this world wants you to believe but you remember what God says about you because he's the one that has the ultimate authority to say who you are because he created you. That makes all the difference in the world. Well, pastor, how do I do that? How do I know God? Well, the great thing is, is that the Bible reveals to us that God is not some mystical force hanging out in the skies or on top of a big mountain somewhere, just looking down, waiting to pounce on mankind and pulling strings, and we can't possibly know him. The God we find in the Bible is a God that's personable. A God that we can know and understand. How do we know that? Because we have his word. And he works in our life. He works through uh, you know, his word. He works through his church. He works through all kinds of different things to get our attention and to help us to grow in him. And so if we want to know him and we want to be the man, we want to be the woman, we want to be the church that God created us to be so that we might reach our full redemptive potential. We have to start with the right eye, and it's not you. 
the right eye is Jesus Christ. And not just knowing the name Jesus, but knowing Him as Lord and Savior. Knowing that He came to forgive and that He says, I'll never leave you and I'll never forsake you. So what do we do? I think there's a couple things. That there's a few primary ways. And our Christian walk is not a passive one. That's why a lot of people don't want to follow Jesus. And why a lot of folks don't want to come to church because, well, I don't want to have to do anything. We want the benefits, but we don't want to have to do anything to do it. A lot of us have, and you know, the, uh, we especially when January rolls around, it'll be here in a few months. January first, gyms in Pearl, Mississippi, and everywhere else in the world are going to be full, and all kinds of people are going to sign up and say, "This is going to be the year. I'm going to get healthy. I'm going to go to the gym. I'm going to exercise. I'm going to eat better." But by January 9th, those good intentions are far out the window. Why is it? Because it's not our intentions that matter. And it's not our intentions that lead us into a relationship with God. It is our active obedience that leads us into a relationship with God. And it is our active obedience in coming to know who He is. And so God is knowable. In fact, Jesus said in the Gospel of Matthew, He said, if anyone seeks me, he'll find me. He said, knock, and the door will be open. Seek, and you'll find. So God declares himself that he is knowable. Well, I think part of the the thing you want to... To know somebody, you get to know them. How we can get to know God is by reading His Word. We have it available to us. We don't have to even have the book. Why, we got it on our iPads and on our phones, and there's apps that we can download that'll even read it to us, so we don't have to even read it ourselves. The Bible is more available to us than it's ever been before in human history, and yet we have the most biblically illiterate people than there's ever been. Why? Because we don't read the book. And it shows. 2 Timothy 2.15 says this, Be diligent to present yourselves approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the the word of truth. Paul, in in this final letter to Timothy, is nearing his life. He says, you know what, young Timothy? You be sure to study and to present yourselves approved How do you do that? You divide the word of truth. He's not talking about taking some out. What he's talking about is you dig in and you digest it and you eat it and you learn from it. And the truth of the matter is all of us could stand a little bit more Bible reading. 
Now, is it in the practice of just doing the reading? It's not. I think there's lost people that read the Bible. I think Satan knows every word that's between these two covers. But it doesn't do him any good. Because it's not just about reading it. It's about digesting it and living it and understanding, applying it to your life. Understanding that when God speaks through his word, he's speaking to you. And so we need to read his word. We need to study his word. We need to do that individually. And we need to do it corporately. God expects us to spend time with him, knowing him through reading his word as individuals. But he also, there's great benefit and great power when we come together with other believers in Christ. And we sit around God's word and we open it up and we say, you know what? This is what God's word says. What do we do with it? That's how we grow. That's how we come to know and understand him. He's told us in his word from Genesis to Revelation who he is. And what his will is for my life and for your life and for the life of this church. The problem often is we're not presenting ourselves approved by rightly dividing, by rightly digesting, by rightly studying God's word. Perhaps you've heard this said that the best Bible translation is the one that you'll read, and I do believe that. But the best Bible translation that you'll read doesn't do you any good if it's sitting on a shelf or closed on an app on your phone. The only time it does you any good is when you open its pages and you read it and you say, God, speak to me through your word. And then you read it. And then when God speaks to you, you listen. And it will change your life. And God will direct you and God will mold you and shape you into the man or woman or the church that God intends for you to be. He'll lead you along. Now, he's leading you toward heaven. We sang a lot about that this morning. But our relationship with God is not just about heaven. It's about the here and now as well. Another thing I think that God expects us to do, uh, 1 Thessalonians 5, 17, Paul just simply instructs us this way, pray without ceasing. He's not talking, hey, quit your job, move to a monastery, get on your knees and pray all day. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is you have such a relationship and such a... that you can be sensitive to God's Spirit and that you can pray throughout the day. Do you know you you just don't have to pray at certain times? It's not just when you eat, not just when you wake up, not just in your evening before you go to bed prayer time. But you know God's open 24-7, just like Walmart used to be. Now, Walmart is closed. They've changed that, but God hasn't. He's still there 24-7. 
And so Paul's admonition to the Thessalonican church is, and to us is, you pray and you have this attitude of prayer. You walk with God. Understanding your reliance upon and that when something happens, it's your first nature, not your last resort to go to God in prayer. If we're honest, most of the time, prayer is our last resort rather than our first impulse. But when we know God, and we know and understand that He can do something about the problems we have in life, and He can do something about the struggles that we face, we can go to Him in prayer, and He doesn't just listen, but He's able to do something about those issues. And so being the person that God created you to be, and being the church that God created our church to be, starts with the right eye. It starts with reaching up and understanding it's dependent upon God. Just like uh, Paul said in Philippians 4.13, you remember he said, I can do all things. He didn't put a period there. Does that verse say that? It does say that. We can, but we're in big trouble if that's where we stop. He said, I can do all things through Christ who loves me. I can do all things through Christ. Jesus echoed that. He was echoing Jesus' sentiment in John chapter 15 where Jesus told his disciples, without me you can do nothing. And he's admonishing in John chapter 15 his disciples to remain in him, to abide in him. Well, you don't live somewhere you don't know. And so, Moses had to learn a lesson. And every time Moses said, I can't do it, God's answer was, I am. He said, I'll be with you. He said, well, I, if they ask me who sent me, who am I going to He said, you tell them I am, that I am sent you. He said, well, I, I can't speak very good. And God said, I will give you your brother Moses to be your spokesman. And so we know the end of the story. But we have to know and understand this lastly. If we're going to be the man, we're going to be the woman, we're going to be the church that God wants us to be, we must trust and follow His plan. I can quite assure you, as you read through the book of Exodus, and you see Moses leading the children of Israel it did not go the way Moses wanted it to go. And God did not do things the way Moses would have done it. And yet Moses goes back and he goes to Pharaoh. In fact, if you read on in the book of Exodus, you find he went to him several times. And they went back and forth. And finally, after some pretty serious plagues, 
Pharaoh said, get out of here. Take your people, get. Go and, and do your worshiping. Uh, and so the people left. And then Pharaoh kind of came to his senses and started chasing them. And those said, no, we're going to trust and we're going to follow God's plan. And so the book of Exodus, you read through it, you remember that God led his children through a desert. And he protected them by a cloud during the day. And he led them, they followed that cloud. He led them by a fire at night. And then they came to a sea. And Pharaoh was marching up behind them to catch them. Well, guess what? They didn't catch God by surprise. And God said to Moses, you cross that river. And when Moses put his foot in that water, guess what happened? The water split. But not just did the water split, but millions of people, the entire nation of Israel, walked across on dry land. This was a miracle of God. And there were a lot of detours on this route. It was a relatively long journey. It may have taken them to get to Egypt to the promised land about 40 days. But it didn't take them 40 days to get there. How long did it take them? It took them 40 years. You want to know why it took them 40 years? is because they wouldn't trust and follow God's plan. They wanted to do it their way. And if you read through the book of Exodus, you find all kinds of examples. Some pretty serious ones. Where the people say, no, we don't want to do that. Let's come up with our own direction. Let's figure it out. Let's help God out. And how many of us have ever done that in our lives? Say, yeah, I know God's plan and God's desire, and he's told me what he wants, but I want to do it that way. I know some way that's faster. And I'll do it that way instead. Does it ever work out? No, it doesn't. And it never will because God wants us to understand it's trusting and following His plan. He has a purpose. And He, he reminds He said again, I will never leave you. And I'll never forsake you. When God has proven himself faithful in the past, we're able to know we can depend on him now. And so that Wednesday morning when I woke up, it didn't feel good. And I got to the hospital, I didn't know who I was. I didn't know what day it was. I didn't know what month it was. And yet there was a God that was watching over me. And they were doctors, and I mean, they came all, from all over the place, and they were hooking me up to things, and taking me places and asking me questions. And, and God was right there. We don't always know God's he doesn't reveal it to us all at one time. But what he does reveal to us 
his steps. Part of the reason he does that is because if he revealed the all to us at once, we wouldn't believe him and, or we'd be so scared we wouldn't dare do it. But sometimes even the small steps he asks us to take are scary. But no matter how scary those steps are, we know that he's proven himself to be trustworthy. And he's proven himself to be faithful. So if we know him, then we can trust him. And if we really trust him, then we're going to follow his plan. We're going to be the man, we're going to be the woman, we're going to be the church that God created us to be. We're going to follow him. Not the ways of this world. Not political correctness and not what people you know, feel good about, but rather what God has said. Jesus said in John 14, 6, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. You remember Jesus mentions I am a lot, several times in the Gospels. And a lot, of time, a lot of times, not every time, but a lot of times he's using that very intentionally before the Jews because they understood that's how God had revealed himself to Moses in the desert in Exodus chapter 3 that we read this morning. That I am that revealed himself to Moses is an I am that sent his son Jesus Christ to Bethlehem over 2,000 years ago. That same God said to his people generations after Moses, but before Jesus would come, I'm going to send a Messiah. I'm going to send one that will deliver you. In fact, even use the prophets to tell him where he would be born. And even tell him what his name would be and what his mission would be. Centuries before he would come. How could he do that? Because God has a plan. And the great news and what I want to encourage us in this morning is that you're an important part of that plan. God has a plan for your life. You say, well, I made too many mistakes. God knows your mistakes. And he knows your failures, and he knows your doubts and your insecurities, and yet he says, I am, and I will be with you. But you see, when we get that reverse, and we say, you know what? I am. Talking about ourselves. We falter and fail every time. But when we recognize that the God of the heaven, the God of the universe, the great I am, is the one that loves us and the one that lives inside of us and the one that desires to direct our path and has good things planned for us. And sometimes God's will takes us places we really don't want to go. But here's the thing, we need to remember that when God's plan leads us somewhere, God goes with us. And not only does he go with us, but he goes ahead of us to prepare the way for us. As well as goes with us. Call our attention to Matthew 26. Verse 39 says this, And going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, my Father, 
If it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. The first thing we need to do, if we're going to be the man, if we're going to be the woman that God intends for us to be, and we're going to be the church that God intends for this church to be, is understanding it is not about me. It is about Him. It's making sure we have the right eye, understanding that we have to reach up to God and everything we do and everything we want to be is dependent upon Him. All that we're responsible for doing is being faithful. God is the one that's responsible for the results. He's the one that brings the harvest. He's the one that brings the successes. All we have to do is say, God, here I am. Use me. But in order for us to say, God, use me, we first have to have this reached up relationship with him, understanding it's not about the eye that's inside of me, but it's the eye that's the great I am. The eye that you have, you can do some pretty good stuff but it cannot do what God has for you to do. And you cannot reach God's best for your life with the eye that's inside of you. But when you'll turn to the great I am, to the one that Moses met in a burning bush and met on a high mountain, Because that's where, near where the end of Exodus ends, is Moses on that mountain of Horeb where the story began. Where you remember God said, when I leave my people that you're going to be back here and you're going to be worshiping me on this mountain. God goes up to Mount Moriah and speaks to Moses and remember gives him the Ten Commandments. And God meets Moses on the mountain. But in order for God to meet Moses on that mountain, Moses first had to come to the place where he got the right eye. Where he understood it wasn't about him. And it wasn't about his abilities or inabilities. But it was about what God had said for him to do. And to be faithful with that. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. Thank you for your goodness and your love to us. Lord, we thank you that just as you were the great I am in Exodus chapter 3, you are still the great I am today, October 2nd, 2022. And Lord, if there's one here today, either in person or uh, watching on uh, the internet, that has never trusted you and doesn't know you as the great I am, and they're still living the power of I in themselves, and it's not working, will you help them today to say, God, you know what? I'm a sinner, and I deserve to spend eternity in hell. But I believe that your son, Jesus Christ, died on the cross of Calvary to pay my sin debt, and today I receive that gift. And I confess Jesus Christ to be the Lord of my life. Come into my life and save me. Help me to be the person you've created me to be.
Lord, maybe there's one of your children that has started that relationship and they do know the great I am. But they're not where they ought to be. They're not trusting and following your plan for their life. And Lord, they're miserable. Would you speak to them today and help them realize the misery is that self-imposed. But it can be solved with simply coming to you and saying, Lord Jesus, forgive me. God, thank you for the great promise that if we confess our sin, you are faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from unrighteousness. Lord, our desire is to be your hands and feet. Our desire is for, to be the man, the woman, and the church that you created each of us to be, individually and collectively. But Lord, we confess today, this morning at this church, that we need you to do that. And Lord, our prayer is that we keep our eyes on you. Lord, do a great and mighty work in our life and in the life of this church. We pray you would show how powerful you are by changing lives and changing this community. Not for our sake, but for your sake so that people say, you know what, the great I am still is. Help us, we pray in Jesus' name. Let's stand together and uh, we're going to sing the old uh, little chorus, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. That's where they need to be.